Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from John O. was recorded on August 11th, 2022. Thank you. And thank you, Renee. And um, I'm not, uh, I'm not the, let me see. <laughs> um, someone asked me earlier if I was nervous about speaking and sharing. And um, I let them know that I'm scared that I won't tell the truth because I lived lies for uh, most of my life. I told lies, I would manipulate. And it's, you know, a lot of it is in, it's a result of growing up in the, the family dynamic that I did. <clears throat> um, years ago, I've been in recovery for a while. Years ago, I, I there's websites where you can have bumper stickers made and I realized that um, there's a certain thing that I consistently do. I don't do it anywhere near as much, and I certainly don't do it often. But I had this bumper sticker made up, and it's to you know. So I got 200 of them, and um, I the first thing I did was I put it on the back of my car. So it's it's slapped on there. It's it's so it's a reminder, um, and. It, it's not putting myself down. It's just sort of a, a way of like, yeah, I make stuff up. Um, I grew up in San Francisco. So by the way, that that's not like, a, I'm hoping I'm not making stuff up tonight. Um, so, um, and uh, part of what I've learned out of this program and, and other recovery programs and through trauma-informed therapy is humor is essential in my life. and. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, my sense of humor has changed a lot. It used to be, um, sarcasm. You would be a target. Um, it, it would be to get a laugh, uh, for, you know, that I was thought of as being funny. Um, but I grew up in that family, that, that dynamic sarcasm was introduced early. Um, I was born and raised in San Francisco. Um, uh, my father was the alcoholic. My mom uh, was the um, uh, the control mechanism. I have two older brothers and a and a younger sister. And um, uh, I've been in recovery an AA for uh, almost twenty six years. And I bring that up because I know it's not the same program. And I bring it up because in my thirteenth year of being clean and sober, um, I found myself. Uh, being an emotional pain that was incomprehensible and it was about a relationship. And, uh, I had a definition of love in my brain that, um, um, was not based on any reality. It was based on, uh, surviving and, and I hit an, a, a, an absolute total emotional bottom. And, you know, there were people in the other program AA and, and I'm, I'm not disparaging it. Uh, what happened for me was um, when I'm told to read the first 164 pages, go to meetings, be of service to others. Um, you know, there's a, there's a certain 
element to that for me that um, it felt like something was missing because I was at such a bottom in 13 years of recovery. I was, I was how, how does this happen? And um, I had a friend of mine who was in recovery as well. He was so clean and sober. He had, he had a, an emotional breakdown. He went to a, a treatment facility for that. And I would call him and check up on him. And he said, John, you got to, I'm going to send you something. You got to read this ACA, um, the laundry list. And uh, he sent it to me and my jaw dropped. And the one trait that always sticks out is for me is trait 12 and uh, the fear of abandonment, my sick abandonment needs. And I, I was willing to seek love at any cost. And I can tell you what I've, you know, or the attention and over my lifetime, I lost, and I've been with ACA a little over eight years, but I, what I've lost is I lost money. I lost weight. I lost work. I lost friends. I lost um, uh, sleep. I lost dignity. I lost grace. I lost, you know, I lost myself. And it's, you know, it, it was always, even, even being clean and sober, it, it was taking me away from my true self because I was still into, you know, people pleasing, just, just, just pay me any kind of attention, please, please. And it was, it was, I didn't realize how devastating it was until, you know, about a little over eight years ago. And my friend who, um, who taught me, who brought me, you know, to this program also introduced me to a trauma informed therapist. And I was living in Texas at the time. And, and, um, I had never experienced anything like it. I had had therapy before. I had couples therapy and and therapy for myself, and this was completely different. And uh, she introduced this therapist with her sitting to my side, helped me helped introduce me to my little boy, my precious little boy that is within. And I had no knowledge of this. And I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, but being on that um i don't know if precipice is the right word but here's that there's that term leap and the net will appear when i'm in her office and there was just that part of me that was very reluctant to do what she was asking of me and for whatever reason i allowed myself to do it and um tears started streaming down my face and i wasn't sobbing i wasn't crying it was the fact that I had seen this little boy for the first time and seen how terrified he was. And, and so then, you know, my, my next question was, well, what, what do I do? What do I do? And she taught me how to save and rescue that boy through visualizations and, you know, coming to ACA. And, you know, it's, it, for me, I can't do ACA without trauma-informed therapy and I can't do trauma-informed therapy without ACA. ACA, there's a fellowship. I see faces. I see, I see other people going through, you know, similar, similar things. And, and um, I'm not going to, you know, one of the things that I've learned for me, for me, this is really important for me is I don't need to tell you all the stuff that happened in my house. I don't have to tell you that it was bad. Um, I had a therapist, um, who I'm, I'm in Santa Fe and I have a therapist here and she's also a trauma-informed therapist. And 
she asked me, John, what do you think would happen in this day and age with child protective services? If your parents were doing what they were doing to your, you and your siblings, what would happen? I was, I don't know. She says, John, they'd kick down the door and grab your parents and put them in handcuffs and throw them in the back of a squad car. Now, chances are we might have to have gone to foster care. So, I mean, it, it, it is. What's great about my therapist is she reminds me of, of, you know, when I start going to empathy and compassion, I'm, there's my parents have been forgiven. I don't blame them. My mom didn't get enough love from her, her mom and dad and, and her mom and dad didn't get, you know, all of that, um, you know, what we inherently deserve. And uh, that that's my feeling. And um, my mom was the perpetrator of most of the violence. And um, it was scary. And it had an it had an immense effect on my relationship with women, and I didn't understand that. Um, this the the biology or the psyche psychiatry around what I've gone through hypnosis and what I was gifted, and this is truly a gift. Besides the courage that I've been given and the ability to ask for help was my amygdala fight flight or freeze and the hippocampus the hippocampus is and i've mentioned this before in my previous share it's the memory so my amygdala told my hippocampus when the trauma was happening when the shit was going down my amygdala generally told my hippocampus do not remember this so my body remembers it you know as as many of us know but i i was i was given that I was given that. My sister, who's the youngest, the only girl, remembers everything that not only happened to her, but if she happened to be a witness to something else, she remembers details, times, ages, who was wearing what, all of it. She remembers all of it. And my sister has been devastated by, by this disease. And, um, poof, you know, it's one of those things where it's generational. She has four children. Her youngest daughter tried to commit suicide when she was 15. 16, got pregnant twice when she was 15. And I know it's a direct result of, of what I grew up in and what she experienced. And, and I love my sister dearly. My oldest brother remembers everything as well. He remembers everything. And I stopped calling him to ask. I'm like, hey, Mark, I have this vague memory. He's like, oh, yeah. And he would go through details. And I realized not a good thing to tell, talk to him about. It's just not good for me. And that's, you know, I, I don't want to bring it up to him. I've learned... That my, you know, what I've experienced, you know, I've sh when I've shared the stories of what I experienced, the trauma um, that myself and my siblings experienced, there are other people that I've worked with who've said, well, I hadn't experienced that bad. So, so they start comparing. So part of why I really don't want to share, you know, the details of the trauma is because I know I have a natural tendency to compare. And uh Oh, I didn't experience it that bad. Well, oh yeah, I experienced that bad and worse. So one of the first things I was taught in recovery was to not compare my life, my recovery, my traumas, my abilities, you know, to others. You know, this is my sacred path. This is my sacred path, you know, my journey. And it's, I, I honor that little boy. I have a shrine. My, I was, it was advised to me by one of my trauma therapists to develop a shrine for my little boy and my preteen 
So I have, and I have photos and I have candles and I have found objects. My little boy loves picking up found objects, stones and shiny things and flowers or whatever it is. And I've got candles and I'm looking at it right now across the room and the candles are lit. That's to honor my little boy and, and the teenager, you know, that was that precious, precious, precious little boy. And, and right before this meeting was started, uh, started, I watched a little girl get into her mom's lap. You know, and, you know, it's not about, oh, what could have been, what should have been. It's about, wow, there's a part of me that does wonder what that would be like. But then that would be me dwelling on, you know, poor me and, and you know, and I'm not saying I don't have those moments. But, you know, I, I realize how lucky I am to have survived. I am, and and my siblings, and I don't, I don't really have survivor survivor's guilt, but my siblings, it's a struggle to watch, you know, and, and listen. And, and to give you an idea, my mom just had her ninety second birthday, and I don't when I when I call, I don't say hi, I love you, I miss you, I can't wait to see you. She's on the East Coast. I just go, okay, you know, hope you had a happy birthday. On her 92nd birthday, my sister and one of my brothers with my sister's children went to go be with her. And my brother, one of my brothers called and said, within 15 minutes, it devolved into a shouting match and F-bombs and nieces walking out. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm not part of that. My mom and my dad were my biological parents, but I'm on this sacred path. And I am so dedicated to this. I am so dedicated to this. You know, it's just like to, to honor this, to honor this, you know, my, my therapist that I have now, she calls it my life spark, you know, and I've been gifted this life spark that is just like, it's immense. And there's this weird, crazy responsibility that I feel that I have sometimes. And, and, uh, and ultimately it just, for me, it comes down to just trying to be my true self, to be authentic, you know, instead of, you know, I, I used to try to look so pretty on the outside, wear nice clothes and, you know, whatever. It's not that I don't wear nice clothes, but it's, you know, there was a lot of effort into my hair. I don't have a lot of hair anywhere, but, you know, as a, you know, and I get some of that as, you know, it's part of the, you know, a sexual attraction of everything. But, you know, I just, if I look good, maybe you'll see me as good. Um, I make mistakes consistently. Um, I was thrown a project not too long ago, um, in the entertainment profession and, and, uh, I had a deadline and submissions and things needed to be a certain way. And, um, I was overwhelmed and I thought I had done it and I woke up the next morning realizing I didn't do it right. <laughs> I I forgot to send two really important pieces of information. And, you know, it was one of those things I literally woke up and was like, oh, shit. I probably didn't feel really good about it for several hours. And then by the end of the day, I had a great day. You know, it doesn't define who I am. It's not like I make mistakes. I literally, and so I, I, I've learned through this program and, and uh, with therapy I literally went into the bathroom at one point, look in the mirror, I go, you didn't make a mistake. You didn't do anything wrong. It's going to be okay. I would never have 
known how to do that. Never. You know, I would have just freaked out. That would have been debilitating for, for weeks, you know, um, and I would have acted out in some capacity. Um, uh, you know, I, growing up in that house, you know, it's just realizing my dad was consumed with shame. My mom, um, her lack of self-esteem or whatever, however I'd put that, um, you know, she wanted prodigies. She wanted four prodigies. She wanted to show off her children. And I can tell you, we didn't exactly live up to her expectations, um, but it was tough. It was tough. And, uh, um, you know, there are other people as a result of stuff like this will, who will excel. They will just like, Oh my God, you know, they'll just be become, you know, whatever it is they, they do, they excel financially and materially and everything. I, I just gave up. I just gave up. And, uh, um, and I sort of, I'm not going to say I had every reason to, but I kind of had in my brain, it was great excuse to drink and do drugs. It was a great excuse to drink and do drugs. And, and, um, you know, getting clean and sober, um, then coming into this and, and really realizing that, um, that this was really kind of interesting and kind of a challenge for me at first was realizing that I'm, I'm addicted to feelings. So, um, for instance, my first divorce, I've been married twice and divorced twice, no children. Um, and the first, the first divorce, I was living in New York and I went and saw Schindler's list <laughs> literally like several days after my wife said she wanted to get a divorce. And it was almost like I wanted to pile on to the, to the whole, I, I walked out of that theater and I was with a friend of mine and I was screaming, why? And uh, <laughs> it's just, um, you know, it's humorous now. It wasn't very funny then, but it might've been funny to someone watching me do that. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where this program has gifted me to, you know, that realization that I can be addicted to, to feelings. So I've learned when I'm, you know, I, I go dark, I go rogue every once in a while, you know, it just happens. And, and um, what's nice is I, I've been given so many tools by you guys and by this program and by therapy that um, I recognize it. Maybe not right away all the time, depending upon, you know, whatever, but I'll catch myself and um, I'll do the tools. I'll breathing exercises, um, affirmations. I like making up my own affirmations. You know, um, recently, for whatever reason, I I like the word awe. Um, and it's part of my, de my definition for, for what love can be. And so what I've learned is, you know, the other day when I made that mistake and um, you know, I went in, when I went into the, in front of the mirror and looked at myself in the eyes, I was like talking to my little boy going, I am in awe of you. You are fracking amazing. And, you know, just to be able to do that and believe it, you know, um, I would have never believed myself once upon a time. I, I was just, you know, it's just this, I was full of lies, full of lies. I've so 
I've never been to Hawaii. I have seen the Rolling Stones, but I've never been to Hawaii. But I remember being in a bar surrounded by a lot of people I didn't know. And someone said about something about the Rolling Stones. I said, oh, yeah, man, I saw the Rolling Stones in Hawaii. And, you know, it's it's just like it's about look at me. Look at me. And, and I was so consumed with shame and not being good enough. And just it was it it ran my life. Literally walking in a shame cesspool almost every day for years. You know, just not believing in myself, having no no guidance. You know, if there's fear and terror at home, you know, I had no one to turn to. I had nowhere to process my feelings. I had nowhere to say, hey, I'm really scared because my brothers are screaming in the other room. Or, and then, you know, go to school where I went to a French parochial school in San Francisco where there were nuns and there were rulers and they, they used the rulers. And it was like, do I talk to a nun or a priest about what's going on in my home? No, I kept it quiet. So one of my coping mechanisms was to go up into my room as a small boy, small boy, and rock in my bed and rock myself back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's about regulating my feelings. And I didn't know that, you know, but my body is so dysregulated, so detached from reality, wanting to feel safe. And that's what I did, which in hindsight is really cool. Carry that forward when I discovered drugs and alcohol, not so cool. Um, you know, coming into ACA and, and, and walking into this virtual room, I instantly feel safe. You know, I, I, um, I, there's a part of me that looks forward to, you know, sharing my experience, strength and hope. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, maybe I didn't tell, uh, uh, you know, I'm not doing it right. I'm, you know, but, but that part doesn't take me over like it used to, um, you know, I used, I talked to somebody not too long ago, uh, uh, someone in my life who's very important to me. And we talked about catatonic and being catatonic. And I would, I love, they call it catatonia now. It's not catatonic, but I look, cause I looked it up, but I'd want to be in that catatonia state because that was, that's what I would, I don't, I would never feel normal, but I would not feel. And I would be immobile and, and, um, I've, I've shared this before. I may, may have shared it the last time I spoke at this meeting, but, um, I was given a great different definition of sanity for me, the desire to stay in reality at all costs, at all costs. And when I say my prayers, um, on a daily basis, I ask to have the courage and strength to speak the truth, seek the truth, see the truth, learn the truth, understand the truth, know the truth, live the truth, speak the truth. And being someone who spent most of my life having no idea what truth was, um, you guys have taught me really well, you know, come into a meeting and share my truth, you know, and it, it, it's, um, so it's, you know, it's very, it's very sacred. I believe it's, it feels that way. Um, you know, when I go to work, it doesn't feel very sacred. 
<laughs> there's a, I work in a very public sort of um, way and, and holy mackerel, you know. Um, so I have to practice. I have to go outside sometimes, breathe. Um, uh, my therapist here has told me that I must create. I must, I must create. If I do not create, I will die. And I believe she means that figuratively, um, die on the inside. I will just, I will, I will just sort of, um, become petrified. And, um, so that's part of, you know, what I do is, is I create and I won't go into the stuff that I do, but it's, it's, um, it's really important to me. Um, the same therapist talked to me about the mystery between effort and grace, just till the soil, you know, it's about having that faith, which, you know, um, uh, I happen to be lucky enough to now, I was a city boy. I live, I look at mountains every single day, unless it's snowing or raining, but the windows and doors are open, you know, uh, ravens, mountains, moons, clouds, you know, storms. And that to me has really helped heal me. Um, I have native friends of mine here. They teach me about the seven directions. They teach me, you know, they're very generous and kind and they, they teach me about certain meanings of stuff and, and my, um, and the earth. Um, so that's become a part of my, um, my stuff, um, my healing process. Um, I've learned to just, you know, pay attention. Are my feelings based on facts? You know, am, am I creating a scenario? You know, am I, am I making stuff up again? Am I, am I a great storyteller? And I start attaching real emotions to things that are made up. And I understand now why I do that. And I've done that. I had to, in order to survive, you know, I had to, I would, I would just be in my room and just want to be away from every everything. I felt safest in my room by myself. And it was it was a form of survival. So flash forward years later when, you know, I have no recovery and I'm in a home alone, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying for me. You know, it's just so not knowing how to live life I wasn't taught well, not knowing how to live life with all of these emotions and what's real and what isn't. Drugs and alcohol were amazing. They were perfect. And um, to numb myself and to go to, into cat, catatonia. And, you know, I'm the, I, I, I've, I'll say this a lot of times, but I'm the, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. And that I'm not the smartest guy. I've never been accused of being too smart. It's not that I'm not intelligent, but I've never been accused of being too smart. But I've, I'm incredibly lucky. Like the fact that I am sitting here in front of other people who want to evolve, who want to get better, who want to, you know, the pain has been so much at times where it's like something's got to be done versus me getting a gun and shooting myself and or somebody else because I'm in that much pain or taking so many drugs or jumping off a bridge. And, and it's, 
I, you know, there's, there's, there's my oldest brother and he's my hero. He literally took most of the hits for us. And, you know, he's, he's one of those, it's like a slow death, you know, it's just a slow death. And, um, and my love for him is, is, is immense. And it's beyond, we've cried on the phone. He knows, and I know, and, um, but you know, it's just the fact that I've been given the courage to ask for help, to, um, the strength to continue the, the ability to persevere and to keep going. And, and there, and, and so, you know, you guys are here, like you want to keep going. <laughs> it's, it's like really fracking cool, you know, it's like, wait, something's got to change. And, and I know it's got to be me, you know, um, I, you know, it's and and my boundaries now, you know, and what's nice is what I've learned is I don't have to let people know, <laughs> like I work with some people that I'm just like, Ugh. and, uh, and so, so I don't have to let them know why I'm not talking to them anymore. I'll interact business wise, you know, I have to, I have to interact, but I don't have to ask how their weekends were. I don't have to ask how their family's doing. I don't have to ask any of that. And if they ask me about my stuff, I'm like, yeah, it was all right. It was a good weekend. Thanks. Um, but I'm learning that I don't, I don't have to like yell my boundaries out or make a placard and put it on my front yard. I don't have a front yard, but if I had one, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, ultimately I want to continue to evolve. I want to, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not that like, like, like happy is, I don't know. I don't know what exactly happy is, but it's, I think those are moments, but I, I knew, I know that I've enjoyed a level of um, peace and serenity um, that I never knew was possible. And I know that's in other literature. Um, I truly am in awe of the big red book that we have. I'm not a great reader, but when stuff gets read, I'm like, whoa, and then I'll forget it. Um, uh, the last, the two readings, the last couple of days, go talk about true self or past as an asset. Like who would have thought my past would have been an asset? What? And, you know, I get to go to work and there are some people that are like, what is, you're weird. And I'll be like, yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, and, and you get to talking to them and, and the next thing you know, I've developed a relationship because they've shared their experience with their family and what's going on and i don't have to tell them what to do i say hey this is what i this is part of what i do and if you want you know it's up to you um you know i've i've talked for enough and there's enough people here and i'm going to actually share something with you this is this is how lucky i am and and so i'm just going to read this and, and and it's that's then i'm done there are times that it all seems so dark, yet I cling to an unknown, seemingly infinitely powerful entity that provides me with a fortitude to catch a glimpse of light within the darkness and cling to that light. Asking for help was never part of my being, yet I was gifted with a set of spiritual DNA that continues to guide me towards the teachers that I need to 
continue to propel my spirit forward to an even more powerful light. The darkness is overwhelming when it pounces, yet now I crave the light more than the dark. This is a spiritual shift for, for my being because growing up in the dark created an addiction to it. I constantly long for excitement in all things dark. No more. I am not a victim. I am a survivor. Thank you, great spirit. Thank you, creator. Thank you, great ancestors. Thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate it. It's an honor to be here.